From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Sometimes the world of sports and the real world collide, and this week has been one of those times. When we recorded this episode on Wednesday afternoon, the idea of games being played in empty arenas and stadiums was a hypothetical proposition. But now, late Wednesday evening, we know some games won't be played at all. So before you hear all the latest news about the Gators on the court, field, etc., and our exclusive conversation with Keontae Johnson... We held a late-night chat with FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter to go over new information on the SEC's response to the coronavirus and how it affects the orange and blue. So we're having this conversation at 9.30 on Wednesday night. Um, What we know at the moment, which has changed drastically since we initially spoke earlier this afternoon, is that due to the coronavirus uh, March Madness will have no fans at any events for the duration of the tournament. We now know that the SEC tournament will have no fans for the duration of the tournament. And now on maybe the, the largest scale, Scott, that is really a game changer for a lot of events that are going to be happening in Gainesville, um, all SEC events will not have fans through at least the end of the month. So th- this has become March Madness uh, for reasons not related to the tournament, just really all over the country and all over the world, the way things are happening right now. Yeah, that's well put, Adam. Uh, it, you know, the word surreal is often overused. It's one of those words that people toss out there all the time. But I think today it does feel a little bit surreal. I mean, um, I've been around for a little while and I've seen a lot of uh, crazy things in the world but today is it's been unique in a lot of different uh, ways and it's it's been constant i mean if you are if you've been on social media a lot today which i have it's it's kind of it was hard for me to pull away from it every five ten minutes there's another breaking news story uh, in the sports world or the real world about the coronavirus and obviously in our world the uh, you know Florida athletics it's impacted a lot of things it's going to impact Gators in their first game on Thursday in the Southeastern Conference men's basketball tournament in Nashville there'll be one of the uh, first games where there will be no fans in attendance um, and then of course as you mentioned in your lead in it's going to continue through at least March 30th on the campuses of all 14 SEC schools, whatever events are happening, uh, they will not have fans. It's going to be, you know, a central staff, uh, the teams, and then I think there's going to be limited amount of family permitted inside. The good thing is there will be media coverage. Uh, so, you know, what we do uh, here on FloridaGators.com and what other media outlets do, we'll still be doing that. But even those, some of that may change in ways that i'm not certain yet because the information you know we're still still getting some of this information as we record this but it's just uh it's unprecedented in my lifetime i mean to see what is going on with this uh, coronavirus and how it's spread and uh you know i understand uh the most important thing is uh to get a better grasp of this uh how severe 
it is to get a better grasp on it to maybe prevent its spread. And um, strange times, Adam, is about the best way I can say it. I just hope that uh, in the end, you know, when we look back on this period, hopefully all these measures uh, worked out for the best for everybody. And while there is going to be some disappointment and inconvenience, obviously, for all of us at, in the meantime, uh, if it saves lives, well, it, it will be a good move. Um, yeah, the gravity of this, uh, you certainly can't be underestimated. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is still a sports podcast. So I do want to at least look at that angle in terms of the effect that it could have, because th- there's still a lot of people that care about that. And it's, it's understandable. A lot of people are very invested. But the, the, the games themselves, I mean, whether this is March Madness, and we'll talk more about that next week, depending on where things are, or even, you know, this weekend on campus. It's just, to me, Scott, it seems like games will have a totally different tenor because especially the fan element, that's what gets rallies fired up. That's what, you know, gets players to maybe take their game up another level when the moment catches them. I, I think it's going to be very interesting to see in the short term, assuming all these games are still happening, the way that the actual flow of the game is impacted and the results impacted with just the setting of like a, a you know a preseason closed door scrimmage for all these events. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point that you make, Adam, because the dynamic is totally changed without without the fan presence. And we all are in sports and we all touch it from different points uh you know but really what drives everything obviously is the interest in it the fans i mean they they're the ones who make all all this possible um and if you're a player or coach uh you're thriving off that energy in the building uh during a game you're you're you know if you do like we do we work in the media i mean these fans you get to engage with them and and it makes your job better because you know, these people care about your work or you, your, what you can tell them about these teams and uh, that they're the most important part of this whole equation. And you, you take them out of it and it does change everything. It, it, it's something that, I, you know, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be just fascinating to watch if it does proceed as, as we're talking here, like the NCAA tournament, March Madness, which you know, for my money, it's it's as exciting as any sporting event in the world. I mean, it, some of my favorite memories are from moments of March Madness. And oftentimes, I mean, those crowds, whether you're there in person or you're watching it on TV, I mean, it, it's just part of the experience. And it's going to be interesting uh, as we move forward here to, to see what impact that does have on the games and, and talking with the coaches and players as they maybe go through this experience that's going to be new for them on a lot of levels and get their thoughts, uh, what it's been like. So it it is what it is. I don't know. I don't know if we can really shed a lot more insight at this point until we, we get a taste of this from all angles and uh, we'll have stories. The players and coaches will have stories and obviously fans out there, if, you know, being unable to attend some of this stuff in person, they're going to have some stories, uh, so it's just going to be fascinating, really, to uh, you know keep track of those stories. Yeah, no question. Big picture, safety is number one. Everyone understands that. That's why these measures are being taken. Um, and again, there's a lot of places you can get news. But when it comes to Gator Sports, FloridaGators.com will have all your latest information on how this is affecting games, how this is affecting the future beyond March 30th. And of course, as Scott said, uh, if you want to see what the Gators are still doing, 
that's your source as well to make sure you stay up to date because these games are still happening, just a little bit different than normal. So, Scott, thank you for uh, for helping to shed some light on this and uh, and keeping Gator Nation informed on uh, on what's happening in Gainesville and with the orange and blue. All right, Adam, thank you. To give you an idea of how rapidly this situation has been evolving, we finished that conversation at 9.45. Three minutes later, the NBA announced the suspension of its season. Now on to our original roundtable discussion recorded Wednesday afternoon before the storm began as Chris Harry and Scott Carter take us through basketball's goals at the SEC tournament, baseball's historic streak coming to an end, Lomas Brown's Hall of Fame call, and football's opening spring salvo. We opened the conversation up with Chris in Nashville talking about Florida's disappointment against Kentucky and what it means for their SEC tournament fate and beyond. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, that was as big a gut punch, I would imagine, as some uh, Florida basketball teams have felt around here in, in some time. I mean, I know that uh, there's some disappointing um, uh, collapses in the, under Billy Donham, if you want to talk like back with the Butler game, the Louisville game, and obviously those carried a lot more weight. Those were Elite Eight games, and there was, gosh, the Billy's last year, there were some double-digit uh, losses that just uh, were, were really, really hard to stomach, especially that that particular season, the way the way it all ended and the way it all played out. But, I mean, you're up 18 at home, uh, and you're playing the sixth-ranked team in the country. You're playing for a first-round bye in the SEC tournament. And, you know, that that may have been a game. You win that game, and you might jump a whole seed line uh, relative to NCAA tournament chances or whatever. But, you know, uh, what happened was Kentucky found a vulnerability, and they went at it. And that vulnerability began when Kerry Blackshear left the game. Now, yes, Ashton Hagens, the really talented uh, defensive maven for Kentucky, their starting point guard, SEC leader in assists and steals. He did not make the trip for personal reasons, and uh, uh, Kentucky was shorthanded to be sure. But the difference in this game was how Kentucky's uh, young players stepped up and stepped in and made plays, specifically shots, uh, with Ashton Hagens on, uh, not there. Whereas Kerry Blackshear leaves the game, and the guys who Florida called on, uh, freshman Omar Payne, freshman Jason Jatobo, uh, uh, fourth-year junior Dante Bassett, uh, they, weren't ever to, they weren't able to give the Gators what Kerry Blackshear would have been able to give them. Blackshear had he only played nine minutes in the first half before spraining that wrist. And uh, he got five rebounds in that game. Those guys played in the second half, basically, except for two possessions that Kerry tried to play. They played basically 19 minutes and uh, accounted for four rebounds. Uh, Omar Payne was in there for 10 minutes, I think 12 minutes maybe. He had one rebound in the second half. Second chance points, I want to say it, was, uh, it ended up being 21 to 6 for Kentucky. Offensive rebounds, 10 to 1. Uh, Nick Richards, when he got the ball in the low post, was just an animal, could not be stopped down there, uh, had 17 of his 19 points in the second half. So, again, it was a missed opportunity, 18-point lead with 12 to go, 13-point lead with 8 to go. Got to find a way to not just score, but get stops. I mean, get stops, you box out, simple fundamental things. The boxing out was just had to be just maddening for the coaches. Uh, I give uh, Omar Payne credit for you know being in early the next day working on individual instruction stuff. He and he and uh, Jason Jatobo were in there pounding on each other, working with the uh, associate head coach, Al Pinkins, who handles the bigs, trying to, to address uh, some of their uh, frailties that, that, that showed up in that game because you're not going to go very far, obviously, uh, if, if you can't box guys out. 
Kerry Blackshear, his status for the SEC tournament this week is uh, is is questionable. The chances of him playing are a lot better than they were earlier in the week, uh, but nothing's definitive. He'll have to see. He's not catching the ball great. He can dribble. He can shoot it okay, but obviously he's got to be able to to hold on the ball. But uh, by the time Thursday comes around, uh, whether Blackshear's ready or not, those guys have got to be a lot more prepared to deal with uh, things in the low post than they were in that game. But at the same time, that game's over, Adam. And there's still a lot to play for, SEC tournament, uh, and obviously the NCAA tournament next week. So this is going to seem like a dumb question, but I'm going to pose it to you anyway. And you'll, you'll argue it's not the first dumb question I ever asked you. But what are, what are the goals of the SEC tournament? I mean, you want to win. Obviously, any tournament, that's what you'd like to do. But looking at the bigger picture of March Madness, what do you think Florida needs to accomplish, both from a result standpoint and also mentality-wise, to recover and get in the right headspace for the final run? Well, one thing you can play for is, is to improve your, your seating situation. I mean, uh, if Florida can win the second-round game, then they face Mississippi State, which is the overall fourth seed in the tournament. And, and it's a team that is on the outside looking in right now. You look at the bracketologists, and they have Mississippi State as, the, as one of the last four in. So Mississippi State's going to be a very desperate team, and that's also going to be a quad one opportunity. All quad one opportunities – uh, win or lose, actually improve your seating, but it, obviously it helps to uh, to win those games. Florida only has five quadrant one wins this season, although they played 14 quadrant one games, which is uh, I believe tied for the only I think only seven more teams in the country have played more quadrant one uh, uh, games than the Gators have. So if they could perhaps beat Mississippi State, they probably get Kentucky on Saturday, and that'll go a long way toward toward maybe refocusing them on what happened just last week. So that's another great opportunity. So it's about seeding and it's about bettering your predicament. And um, Florida is in the NCAA tournament. I, I know Mike White doesn't want to tell his players that, but they are in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I don't think any kind of um, uh, doomsday scenario would, would change that with regards to bubble teams around the country. So they'd probably be in as an eight or a nine right now, but uh, maybe they can get to a seven or so. I know last year when they came here, they were, on that last four in line, I think, and won a couple games, beat uh, LSU, which was the reigning regular season champion, and improved themselves all the way up to a 10. And uh, any kind of seeding improvement obviously would, would be a positive for this team. But also just, you know, you made you alluded to it, the confidence standpoint, uh, playing more games, winning more games, and the more you win, obviously here, the better teams you're beating. So uh, that's something that obviously they can point toward. Uh, turning our attention to baseball, Scott, uh, it had to end at some point. All streaks do generally find their way to a finish. And I guess the, the most disappointing part for the Gators is that it came against FSU, which also broke their winning streak over the Seminoles. So kind of a sour note for the midweek, but obviously you can look back now and see what an incredible start to the year that was. Now you kind of refocus on your bigger picture goals. Yeah, Adam, I mean, college baseball season's a 56-game marathon, as they say. And uh, if the Gators had gone 56-0, I'm putting that right up there beside DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. <laughs> That's one of the great uh, sports streaks in the history. Uh, so you, you figured they were going to drop one eventually. They they would probably prefer it not have been against Florida State, who they've beaten 11 times in a row. Uh, but the, the Seminoles, you got to give them credit. I mean, they pitched a great game between their starter and the guy who came in to relieve. Gators really had no answer at the plate, and uh, now they'll just regroup. Georgia comes to town this weekend to open SEC play. 
Uh, Florida's in great shape, obviously, 16-1, and one, ranked number one. Uh, nothing to hang your uh, head about losing to a good FSU team that's showing a lot of improvement on the mound in the first season under Mike Martin Jr. But yeah, great crowd out there, great atmosphere. And now, you know, it's it's. I think it was probably a good test too for the Gators. A, a lot of guys had not, you know, had not been in that kind of environment at least at home. Uh, they went down to Miami and swept three earlier this year, obviously. But now they got a taste of uh, the, the turning competition. That's uh, the intensity, uh, the uh, rivalry factor is going to be turned up here. Uh, you know, Georgia comes to town, SEC. You know, it's the real season. They say uh, the Gators are one of the teams that are picked to challenge in the East uh, behind Vanderbilt. Most people have the Commodores as the favorite, but with what Florida has done early in the season, I think they've reshaped that discussion some. Uh, certainly uh, Vanderbilt and Florida are still the favorites. Georgia's right there. And now it's going to be a, a case of uh, the Gators just regrouping and uh, really facing, I guess, the first adversity of the season. They lost the game, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and, and you say like that, it's, it's kind of striking as they've been playing for almost a month now. Um, I want to go back for a second, though, to that FSU streak because that sort of got lost in the bigger picture of this winning streak for this season. But winning 11 straight over Florida State, which historically has been a really back-and-forth rivalry, it, it just goes back into that, that number we talked about earlier this year after the Miami series. Florida's dominance over their in-state rivals has been really, really stark as of late. That's a critic to uh, Kevin O'Sullivan and his staff uh, turning the table uh, in Florida's favor against uh, your two big in-state rivals. And they've dominated those two series. And it's obviously shown up in recruiting. It's shown up on the field. It's shown up uh, in Omaha with uh, the Gators making, uh, what, seven trips out there under Sully. And, you know, Florida State, whenever you depart from a coach who's been there for 40 years, it's a it's a uh, program that's in transition somewhat. Even though Mike Martin Jr. was there, I'm sure he's trying some maybe new things that maybe his dad didn't. And from what I saw, the pitching uh, certainly is a lot better uh, from what we've seen in Florida State in recent years. And it was just the game where the Gators bats, they did, they were unable to come around. And I mean, it was they were fortunate that it was only a 2 nothing loss because Florida State had so many opportunities throughout the game. They ended up stranding 12 runners on base. And uh, Florida did a nice job with some of the guys out of the bullpen just to limit damage when runners got on base. And uh, But, yeah, it's, uh, you know, 11 in a row against Florida State, uh, 16 in a row to start the season. Uh, Florida fans would certainly have liked those streaks to continue, but Florida State ended them, and there's no there's no reason to think the the Gators uh, it's anything of a change of uh, outlook on this team. It, it was just a midweek loss, and I, I still expect a lot of good things from this Florida Gators baseball team throughout the season. I want to turn our attention to football now, but before we talk about the kind of opening salvo of spring ball that we heard on Monday. Uh, let's talk about some history for the Gators, Scott. That is Lomas Brown getting into some rarefied air for the Orange and Blue. Yeah, Lomas Brown, one of the 17 newest members of the College Football Hall of Fame announced this week. And a couple of thoughts on this, Adam. First of all, I, to be honest with you, I, I was sort of shocked that Lomas Brown wasn't already in the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, for my money, uh, he's the greatest single offensive lineman in Florida football history. Uh, this guy played in the early to mid 80s and 
that was about the time that I really started paying close attention to college football. And you just knew that he was something special even back then. And then he goes on to become a first-round draft pick by the Detroit Lions, uh, plays 18 years in the NFL. In the 90s, he was a, a regular on the NFL All-Pro team. This is a guy that will probably go into another Hall of Fame down the road. I mean, he joins an exclusive club, Adam. He's one of nine former players uh, from Florida in the College Football Hall of Fame, names that people out there know. Steve Spurrier, Jack Youngblood, Emmett Smith, Wilbur Marshall, Danny Warfel, Carlos Alvarez, Wes Chandler, and Del Van Sickle. And now add Lomas Brown to that list, uh, and it's a well-deserved well, then bringing things back to today and maybe some current Gators that that'll be in the Hall of Fame someday if things if things go really well for Florida this season. Uh, spring ball is about to get going, Scott, and it always starts with the, the talking season. There's, there's multiple talking seasons. This is the pre-spring talking season, which means we had a chance to hear from Dan Mullen and from Kyle Trask earlier this week. Uh, what were some of the sentiments they shared? What's sort of the vibe as they get ready for spring ball? You know, it's been a good off season, Adam. I think it was a that was really a, a tone. The you know, spring football. It's always a chance, really, to get a look at some players who maybe we haven't seen a lot from, and to get a better evaluation of those that you know we have seen. And you know, when talking to Dan Mullen uh, during his press conference uh, on uh, earlier this week, that was a large part of his message: is that he he wants to see these young players, uh, some of the 12 early enrollees, get them out there into the system and, and see how they come along. But really the focus for the last two months since the end of uh, the 2019 season, it's all come in the weight room and uh, all the reports from there were positive. Those guys are making gains in the weight room and now it's a chance to go out there and see how that translates onto the football field. And that's, that's what spring is all about. Uh, you know, Kyle Trask was a focal point of, of really the discussion about spring camp. He also spoke to the media and both he and Dan Mullen, uh, a large part of uh, the talk around Kyle Trask is, okay, what's, what's the evolution in his, in his development? Where is it that they want to see him take the next step? And for Dan, Dan Mullen, that, that really starts with this deeper understanding of the game. I mean, it's well documented in how, how little experience Kyle Trask had as the starting quarterback before uh, getting the job last year after Felipe Frank's injury. And then we see what he goes out there and does during the season. And you you just feel like there's more there with him getting more experience, more reps, uh, feeling more comfortable as really the, the leader of the team. And I, I both spoke about that dynamic and how really that is something that is probably the uh, most exciting thing around the Gators going into the spring. Like, how far can they take it with Kyle Trask and quarterback? Because we saw 11-2 and two in a, and an Orange Bowl victory over Virginia in year one, and the college football playoff talk came up uh, with Kyle Trask, and he said that's the goal. He thinks this team has that potential to make the college football playoff in 2020, and that would be a nice, a nice step for the program to uh, take, obviously, one that they've certainly been building toward in Dan Mullen's first two years and now in year three. Uh, this, is a, this is a team uh, that a lot of people are going to be talking about in a different way than they've talked about the Florida Gators really uh, for the better part of a decade. Well, it's no surprise that Kyle Trask is the focal point of the conversation. Your quarterback always is, especially 
when you've had the you know last decade of Florida quarterbacks have been a, a turnstile of, of rotating names. But outside of that, Scott, there are a lot of pieces Florida's got to replace. We know about all the wide receivers that are gone. We know they lost some key parts on defense as well. So beyond the quarterback position, what else was being discussed at the outset? Well, I'll start with just a couple of guys who I'm going to be watching. And we've already seen both of these guys, but I think the way that they're going to be relied upon is going to change this year compared to what we've seen them before. I'll start with offense. I think tied in Kyle Pitts. He's a blossoming star. I mean, this guy has potential to be a real game changer in the offense. And we've we've seen that some already. But with the loss of the four senior receivers, as the question marks uh, at the other receiver spots, the opportunity is going to be there for uh, Kyle Trask to develop even a better connection with Kyle Pitts. Uh, we're going to have to come up with some kind of really good nickname because two guys, <laughs> Kyle, I'm going to have to work on that. And uh, and if you think of anything, let me know. I've seen Kyle to Kyle, but I think we can do better than that. It, that's an exciting part of Florida's offense with what they have to work with heading into 2020. And uh, Pitts has the ability to create mismatches uh, down the middle of the field when linebackers are on him. He has the ability on the outside to actually get up and over uh, smaller defensive backs and uh, make plays in a lot of different ways. And whatever he can do in the passing game, it's obviously going to help the running game. Dan Mullen mentioned the guy that he really wants to see uh, have his confidence back and to see what he can offer to the team this year is Malik Davis, who, you know, it's kind of been forgotten uh, with some injury concerns after a promising start to his career. Just was not as confident as he had been early in his career last year when he did get limited opportunities behind LaMichael Pirine and uh, Damian Pierce. But with Pirine gone, Pierce taking more of a, a bigger role in that backfield, the opportunity is there also for Malik Davis to take a step forward. So uh, he's another guy we want to watch on offense. Defense. I'm going to have a close eye on Kyrie Elam. I think he's got potential to be the next star at DBU, as uh, the Gators and their fans like to call it. Uh, we saw what he could do, obviously, in the Orange Bowl with that late interception that, that really sealed the game in a lot of ways. And uh, I think he's only tapping into his great potential. And he's got some ability back there to uh, do some things with size, speed, ball skills that, even some of the really good players who have been back there over the last few years, I think he could do every bit what they could do and maybe more. Uh, so I, I'll be watching him closely. So it, it, like I said earlier, it's really just a chance to see a lot of players get an expanded role, uh, expanded opportunities and see what they do with it. And then, you know, go back into the weight room over the summer and, uh, and really turn it up in the fall. But, it's kind of like the appetizer, Adam. That's the way I look at spring football. It's the appetizer of what what might happen uh, come fall. When it comes to explosive athletes, few Gators in any sport right now fit the bill better than Keontae Johnson. The sophomore may have taken a little time to click after he arrived on campus last year, but he's become a force at the tail end of his second season, showcasing a combination of speed and power that catapulted him onto the All-SEC first team. We spoke to Johnson shortly after he learned of the recognition and began by asking him about the significance of the honor. I say it means a lot. Uh, I was here all summer, A. Eh? This is working out, trying to work on my game. But um, Coach Nichols and all the coaching staff, 
just like getting three pointers up, um, just making free throws. And for me to get this, it shows that all my hard work in the summer uh, just carried over throughout the season. And it just got me this honor. I've heard you talk a lot about how last season you didn't necessarily buy in immediately and, and sort of it came late for you. How did that play into the off season that you had and, and some of the focuses that you had? Me learning from last season, uh, I learned that like basically the coaches is big on defense. So playing defense gets you on the court right away and then just trying to learn the game. And I just that loss in the uh, tournament, me and one of our managers had a talk and he was telling me like just keep this feeling into you. That's it, bringing it next year. So that's all I've been trying to do throughout this whole season. Just one time, like, just trying to make it to the tournament again, just try to go farther than what we did last year. Just keep learn from each game and just get better. In terms of where the switch flipped for you last year, because obviously by the end of the year, you were in the starting lineup, you were a really big contributor. When do you think that was? Can you identify like a game or a practice or a moment where you realize, wait, I got to change my attitude if I'm going to get better results? I would say the Mississippi, Mississippi State game we played there. Um, I came off the bench and I, I came off the first half real, uh, real well. I played real well. And then coming in the second half, the coach started me in the second half and I just did like big things. I mean, we didn't pull out the win, but I did like good. I did good while I was on the floor for my team and had positive thing. So then the next game, I think we played Georgia and that's when I came in the starting lineup and coach White just been preaching on motor. So every game I just try to keep that in my head and just play hard for the time that I'm on the court and then just keep doing everything they ask. What do you think it was that, that pushed you over there? Was it, frustration about not playing was it seeing what your teammates your classmates were doing i mean how, how did that moment happen for you um it wasn't frustration uh i mean i was a freshman coming in i'm just trying to learn i was learning from uh keystone last year he was teaching me uh some things like what to do like look and see what he had on the court and then when i get on don't doesn't want to make the same mistake as him so i just say like it was just me trying to like learn and just let and take my time. Don't try to rush into like starting lineup and just rush into things. Just like focus and just take my time, and then everything will plan out when it's needed. You mentioned Keith being an influence for you. Uh, what other teammates have had have had a big impact on you in your time as a Gator? Um, I say Keith Stone because he was my um, me and him was competing for spots, so he used to like take me under his wings. Um, just like telling me, like telling me the stuff that he went through. Uh, just like the game situation, how fast it is. And I'll say Jalen Hudson. I'll say like majority of the whole team. I'm good with communicating with the whole team. So, uh, last year I say I went through each person and just like asked them like what, what they do for the season and stuff. And they'll just tell me things. And the same thing as this season, like me being an older guy to the freshman, like we real young. So I try to like uh, motivate Omar Payne and everybody. Just what I learned from last year, try to like te- tell them. So it can carry on like throughout the program. It's funny because I mean, you talk about being more of a leader this year, and yet you're still only a sophomore. But the makeup of the team sort of forces that. Where did the confidence come from to be in that leadership role? Because I don't think most people expect to be in that position in just their second year. But kind of out of necessity, you you and your classmates have had to. Yes, um, I would say during the SEC tournament, uh, me and my two uh, the two other sophomores. We like had to be a big leader for our team, like to get like play against other big teams. And then we went to the NCAA tournament. I've seen like for us to be playing when we was playing well, the team played well, and like when Andrew was leading. So I just felt like that uh, helped the team out. And then this year, coaches told us told me that me, Andrew, and I got to be a big leader for the team. So I'm not a good like vocal leader, but I'm I'm more of a like uh, try to lead by example, like show throw all my emotion my emotions and game. Like when the coaches say something, get on you. I try to like yes sir like. Just get past it and don't let like the bad plays mess up your whole game. That's what I try to do for um for like the younger freshmen for us. 
And I've heard similar things from Noah and from Andrew as well in terms of trying to show leadership, but not necessarily being the guys that are vocal. Where does the vocal leadership come from and how important is it to still have that from somebody? Well, this year it will be Kerry Blackshear. Uh, he like he keeps everybody motivated. Um, he just tell, like he gets Jason in the gym. Just being a leader, like when he's in the gym, he try to get one of the bigs in the gym every time. So they can all get the same work with him. And I feel like him being a big leader, we need multiple leaders. So him being one and then me being the one showing on the court, it just shows like examples for players to like look up to us and just keep it going throughout the whole program when next year comes. I'm going to bring things back to the moment you're in right now here in just a little bit, but I want to take it back for you and, and talk about your family, where you grew up. Tell us about the, the early days of Keontae. I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, but I was raised throughout my whole life in Norfolk, Virginia. And I went to my mom. She's a sheriff. She worked a uh, courthouse. My dad, he was in the military, a chief in the Navy, but he retired. And then I have three older sisters. And the high school I went to, I went to Norview for two years. Then I transferred to IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, with like Emmett Williams, uh, Isaiah Stokes, Silvio DeSouza that go to Kansas, and Trayvon Duvall. Then the coach left my junior year. He had got a college job. He's at Texas um, A&M right now. And Oak Hill had contacted me, and that was closer to home. And I wanted my parents, like, I wanted to be closer back to home. So I transferred to Oak Hill and just tried, like, it was more chances for my parents and my family to get there because Oak Hill is in the middle, like, closer to Tennessee, where it's, like, near Virginia as well. So having your, your mom is a sheriff and your dad is in the military, that sounds like a, a lot of discipline growing up. I, I imagine you were uh, you were probably always on the straight and narrow. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, my parents are real disciplined. Um, I mean, they kind of laid back. Like, I know from, like, they taught me the right from wrong. So and the more I got older, they, the more they laid back they'd have been. And they just gave me, like, more freedom as I, like, grew up. Well, and then having three older sisters, too. I mean, it sounds like you were, I mean, were you, were you fighting for attention? Were you <laughs> were you fighting yeah. in general? <laughs> yeah, I mean, three older sisters was kind of hard because, I mean, the stuff I wanted to do, they can't do, man. Uh, the stuff they do, I can't do. So I'm just trying to hard. Like, like I wanted to play the game, but my sister don't know how to play the game as much. My dad, he would come play the game with me, and me and him always like just play. Me and my dad, like real one of my best friends. So he like an older brother, but you know he's my parent as well. Mm-hmm. So that's why I guess he probably got you into sports. Did your older sisters play sports, and what got you down that path? Um, my older sister, she ran track for Virginia State. My middle sister, she she uh she doesn't do sports. She she went to the University of Alabama. And then the youngest one, I don't know, my sister, she played basketball and ran track, but then she stopped after. So my oldest was the only one that went to college for track. Hmm. Did you immediately start playing basketball when you were younger or did you play a lot of sports and sort of gravitate to it? Uh, I played football first. I played travel football uh, for the Norfolk Saints. And then I played basketball for the Tidewater Wildcats. And that's where I just kept going back. Like when football season came, I played for them. And then when basketball season came, I played back for uh, travel basketball. Until I got to the sixth grade. No, until I got to the eighth grade, I stopped playing football. I felt like basketball was like more where my heart is at. So I just kept playing and trying to get better at it. I feel like I can usually make an educated guess on a football position, but uh, you're tricky. I'm going to guess, I'm going to say tight end. Is that right? No, nah, no, nah, I play linebacker. Were you tired of playing defense and that's why you wanted to go play basketball? You wanted to score? Um, No, I would say, like, all my parents said I was better at football than I was in basketball at the time. I mean, like, Virginia, I, I hate cold weather, so like, <laughs> it was just too cold. And then getting hit in the cold, like, the sting be hurting and stuff. So I just, I just didn't want to, I just wanted to be, like, in the gym. And then my coaches, like all my friends that I grew up with, they all played basketball. So I just try to like follow them. 
It's funny. I want to say both Andrew and I'm not sure as multiple of your teammates have said they did not like getting hit. And that's why they stopped playing football. So you, it seems to be a universal theme between you guys. Yeah, that's, that hurt. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, okay, so you got into basketball. Where did the love come from? I mean, you said that obviously it really took hold of you. What about the game did you like so much? I just like, like it's really competitive. Like my eighth grade year in middle school, I played JV, and I was playing against ninth and 10th grade, and I was starting for them. So, like, that show, like, it's real competitive, and you make, like, real close friends from basketball as well. So I just felt, I don't know, I just fell in love with the game after that, just working out with the coaches and having fun. Like, there's not much you can be mad about being on the court, so I just feel like if you just, like, have fun while you're working out, then the game will be easy to you. I know that you used to go by the nicknames Red and Key to Kid. Can you tell us where those came from? I mean, I could probably figure out the second one, but where they came from and what happened to them? Because they, they don't call you that anymore, do they? Oh, uh, no, they still do. They People still do? Are, okay. Um, yeah. Well, red came from, when I was younger, uh, like my face used to turn red a lot. So like, everybody, <laughs> I play AAU, so I, people used to just say red and Virginia. And then Key to Kid, it's just, uh, Isaiah Stokes came up with that name when we were at IMG, and I just like carried it on. But only people, people in Virginia, you would hear that more red in Virginia. Like everybody in Virginia called me red, but out here people would call me, in Florida would call me Key to Kid. I thought they just called you Key. Yeah, the coaches called me that. Okay. Yeah. So like sometimes Coach Nichols would call me Key to Kid. That's all about that Virginia connection, right? Yeah, yeah, Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I guess that sort of leads into what I was going to ask you next about recruiting. When that process started, what made Florida so attractive to you? I, I know part of that was that Virginia connection. Yes, um, I'll say Florida. I came to a league camp the year uh, Devin Robinson was here. That's when uh, they started like recruit, like Coach Nichols started recruiting me throughout my whole high school career. They like never offered me to my senior year. After that, when they offered me when I was at Oak Hill, I'm real close friends with uh, Dorian Finney Smith. He's from Virginia as well, so. He just told me about like how the program is and how like how they got better throughout like the years he's been here. And I just feel like he I mean, he's in the NBA as well. And I want like that's my goal throughout the whole season. So I just try to like follow, just try to get somewhere that can get me to my main goal, basically. And I feel like Florida was the best choice for that. We talked earlier about, you know, that connection between you, Andrew and Noah all coming at the same time. And, and you know, I hear all the time how close the three of you are. What makes that dynamic work so well? Not just being the same age, but why do you guys gel the way you do? Well, me and I knew Noah before I knew Andrew. We went. Um, me and Noah went to a Providence team camp, and ever since that, like, we played on the same team up there. And ever since that day, like we just like playing with each other. So me and him exchanged numbers, and we just like we just talk all the time, just talking about how we want to go to the same college. And then when I played Andrew, he had, he played with Mount Verde, and I played at IMG. And I just seen like how he passed the ball and everything. So we all then somehow we all got in the same group chat and we just like all jumped together and just wanted to like go to the same college. And Florida was the best option for both of us. And we just keep like nobody split us off. Like we still in our same way. We still talk. That's my roommates to this day. So, mm-hmm. so I was going to ask you some roommate questions. Which one of you is most likely to hog the TV at the apartment? I wouldn't say nobody will hog the TV because we all have our own TV in our room. So if we want to like really watch TV. We just go to our room, but if we watch it together, we'll watch uh, like the NBA games or something in the living room. Okay, well, I assume the next answer to this won't be as easy. Which one of you is least likely to take out the trash? Uh, that, um, it is between Noah and Andrew. <laughs> you're just you're throwing it all away from you, right? It's not you though. Yeah, cause like I mean, sometimes we have like trash bags in the house, 
and it'll, it'll probably sit there for a couple of days and then until I take it out. <laughs> if I never would take it out, they probably wouldn't take it out. I know you guys, you have a lot of your meals are taken care of and, and you go to dining halls. If you guys, do you ever cook? And if so, who does the cooking? Uh, no, for sure. Oh, really? Oh, me, so me and Andrew don't know how to cook. Well, I, no? don't, I know how to cook only hamburgers and fries, but no, not to cook like the, the other stuff. Yeah. What, what does Noah cook for you guys? Um, like he know how to cook. I don't say he know how to cook spaghetti. Uh, he know how to like boil the rice right the right way. I forgot he cooked some. He cooked some stuff the other day, grilled chicken and stuff like that. Oh, nice. Yeah. I say it was a memorable meal. If you can't remember what it was, I guess you must. <laughs> it was really good. Yeah. Um, you know, throughout this year and and I guess throughout your whole career so far, we've seen you show a lot of flair on the court, a lot of that athleticism. And it seems like you and Scotty are sort of similar in that sense, in terms of your your jumping ability, the way you can get up to the rim. How would a dunk contest play out between the two of you? How would you see that going? I'll probably say Scotty will win because he, he been like I haven't been in only been in one dunk contest, but Scotty been in multiple, so like he know what dunks to do and what dunks to like to get the crowd going. So I'll probably pick Scotty. I haven't I haven't tried to jump over people before and everything. You haven't, know. no. Nah, I never did that before. Is Scotty making you raise your level a little bit? Are you gonna start trying stuff like that? I'm gonna try it eventually, but I just never like, I just never like thought about it. Like, I like, say we try playing around dunking the gym. I'll probably never like do it. I just probably go between the legs or try to throw it off the backboard or go between the legs, something like that. <laughs> I always want to know how do you get people to even do that for you? Right? Do you just find your shortest friend and say, "Hey, just stand here. I'm gonna try something new for a second." Yeah, you just you just try to like get the closest friend that you got more confidence in you to do it. <laughs> I did stand there because you mess up and hit them then they will probably won't get mad <laughs> right um all right so let's say you guys are having this dunk contest if you had to pick three judges for the contest who would they be i'll pick probably michael jordan for sure probably kobe and shaq what is the what's your favorite dunk you've ever seen like what dunk did, did you see and say man I, if i could only do that um i said the one that aaron gordon did in the dunk contest when he had the mascot spinning he like he put the ball under his both his legs. Like I don't know how he did it, but it just looked like it was too hard. He jumped over a dude, but he had both of his um legs in the air and he put the ball under and then dunked it with his right. So are you thinking about trying that one or that, that's too high level for you? No, nah, nah, that's too high level right now. <laughs> um you mentioned some of the, the all time greats you might have that would uh that would judge your dunk contest, but in terms of just NBA guys in general that you draw inspiration from, which players do you look up to the most and why? Kawhi Leonard. I'll say because he really doesn't like, show as much emo- emotions on the court. Like he just like try to get his job done or do everything he can. He played defense, rebound, he can score. And I just feel like that's what like that's what the game is about. Like you can do multiple things to help your team win. And I feel like he could do that. Outside of basketball, what do you like to do when you have some free time? I know there's not a lot of it, but what are what are the go-to options? I get my teammates, like some of the teams be dancing, so I dance with them, uh, make videos, like funny videos that I'll be posting on Instagram. If I'm not doing that, then I'll go to the movies or play the game. That's about it. Last movie you saw that you really that you really liked a lot? Bad Boys 2. Bad Boy, wait, you mean Bad Boys 3? Yeah, Bad Boys 2. That's not my bad. I was going to say, Bad Boys 2 is like 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, Bad Boys 3. Are you are you on board for another sequel, or you think it should stop at three? Um, I mean, I'm on board. Uh, I really don't remember the other ones, Bad Boys one or two. So, like, for me to see Bad Boys three, it was just kind of like maybe want to go back and watch the other ones, but it, it was a real good movie. Yeah. So now, yeah, I go back and see the classics. You know, at this point, they're classics. Um, you talked earlier about some of the work you've done on your game, especially going from especially going from year one to year two. 
at this stage now, I know if this isn't the time of year when you're focused a lot on improving your game, I'm sure, but what does the future look like for you in terms of your game? What areas are you most focused on getting better? Um, I would say my one dribble pull up, like blowing past the defender and when they try to cut me off, just pulling up real fast. Cause some teams, some teams dare me to shoot. Some teams play me to drive. And when I try to drive, they'll come out in the last minute. So I feel like if I do like a one or two dribble pull up, that can help me expand my game as well. A couple final things for you. Um, you know, last year you had a chance to play in the SEC tournament and you had a chance to play in March Madness. I'm curious, how did those games feel different than regular season games? And, and what did you learn from those that you can use coming up this week and next week? I say those because it was single elimination. So basically, if you lost, you was done. And all the teams didn't want it, like, end a season off that. So I just feel like from that, we should just carry it on throughout the season. Like, every possession count. And just take care of the, like, the moment that's right in front of you instead of like worrying about what's next. So regardless of what happens on Wednesday, you're guaranteed to play a team for the third time this year, either Georgia or Ole Miss. What are the pros and cons of having so much tape on an opponent that knows they also have just as much tape on you? Um, I mean, it's good. Like we, we can learn from the stuff, like what they scored off of. We can learn to see where, like what we lacked off on defense. But then I would say it's kind of bad because the person that, that played bad the first two times we played them could have a good game this time and like that could mess up the whole sky report. So basically like just locking in and just do what we gotta do best. Like do whatever the coaches say to get the win and just let the game come out. Let's say if it is Georgia, is it hard mentally to beat a team three times? Like is it is it tougher to beat a team three times than to say play Ole Miss who you split with during the regular season? I'm not sure. I, I probably haven't like been in that situation, but I mean, people say it is three to three, and especially like in a conference like game. But I feel like we like I feel like we know what like what they do best and what they need to do, how they score. So if we just keep doing what we've been doing from the first two times, we'll be fine. Final question for you, uh, Coach White's talked about it. You know, it's the time for learning is kind of over for this year. It's it's put up or shut up time. What do you think this team needs to do to be successful in March and have the kind of run that your your talent suggests that you could have? I just I basically say just play with confidence. Um, I mean the regular season is over with postseason, so we about. To, I just say like just play with confidence, play with um, poise, just learn. Like after the game, when we win, just learn from the mistakes. Uh, the games going by fast so you can't think about it. like if you had a bad game and we won you can't think about that game carrying over to the next because it's single elimination so just play your game and just playing smart basically outstanding well Keontae thank you so much for your time and best of luck to you in uh, the SEC tournament and beyond thank you appreciate it and that's going to do it for this week's show if you haven't already done so be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice and please leave a review to help us continue to grow Be sure to visit FloridaGators.com for all the latest news on the orange and blue, including scores, schedules, and more. Then come back next week for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in Gainesville.